The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her privately. But just when she had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took Mary as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. The Gospel of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Today's Gospel reading contains this event which we hear of only once every three years, that being the every third year when Matthew's Gospel is our primary storyteller for the year because Matthew's is the only Gospel that tells this particular story to us. It's the story of the promises of God and the pregnancy of Mary and the birth of Jesus, all experienced from the perspective of Joseph, about whom we actually know um, absolutely for sure very little. Part of that is because unlike angels and shepherds and magi and Mary, in not just the Bible's Christmas stories, but in all of the Bible, uh, the entirety of the Bible, there's not a single mention of any single thing that Joseph ever said. His role in the story, as we have it, is a non-speaking part. He has no lines. Were all this taking place in Hollywood, in other words, he would be paid a minimal wage for his minor appearances. What's more, if you add up all of his non-speaking roles in all of the scenes in which he did appear, they add up to hardly anything at all. For unlike his wife, Joseph doesn't ever appear in the stories told later when his son is an adult, which leads many to the assumption that Joseph had probably died by then, which leads some to the assumption that Joseph was possibly older than his 14 or 15-year-old bride. I say 14 or 15 year old bride because what we do know is that in that time when a woman, young woman, was physically able to start having children, she would be married and start having children, generally having been married, to the man her father had promised her to. Had Mary's father, Joachim, promised his daughter in marriage to an older man, perhaps an older man who had an established had an established trade and so could provide his daughter very well. There are traditions that speculate that. There are speculations confirmed by the practice of the time, but we don't know that for sure. Maybe Joseph and Mary were the same age, teenagers, both of them. The Bible does want us to take as a fact the detail that Joseph was a carpenter. 
Jesus is referred to in Scripture as a carpenter himself and as a carpenter's son, which would have been very consistent with the very common practice of a father teaching his son the family trade. Surely, father and son, especially father and Jesus, his firstborn son, over the years spent more than a few hours together in dad's carpentry shop. Little Jesus, Yeshi in Aramaic, sweeping up behind his dad. Little Jesus, Yeshi, helping his dad. Daddy, can I do that? Little Jesus, Yeshi, imitating his dad. Look, Daddy, I made it all by myself. Little Jesus, Yeshi, over the years coming to identify the smell of wood and sawdust with his dad. The same way my wife still, when she steps into a wood shop, smells the memory and presence of her dad, an avid woodworker. The same way I still, every single time that I open the container of cracked corn to feed the birds, smell the memories and even the presence of my dad, who sacked feed in the co-op elevator for 33 years and who's when every time he came home smelled of cracked corn. Every time I feed the birds, I smell my father. That, of course, if you're me, leaves you to wonder, um, you just can't help but not wonder if Jesus, if the memory of the love of his father and the aroma of lumber was something that Jesus sensed in the lumber that was the lumber of a cross. Don't know, of course. Although we do know, science tells us that no human sense is linked more closely to memory than smell. We also know that Joseph was a Jewish dad. Scripture makes that clear. Descended of Jewish ancestors who surely saw to it that his son was raised to know the Jewish scriptures. Sometimes we have this idea of Jesus that he wasn't really human at all. And so, of course, he had the Bible memorized on, in the manger. Not true. He was taught the scriptures. We're left to imagine, however, what might have ever crossed Joseph's mind as he taught the Word of God to the Son of God. I wonder if he thought of it similarly to the way we think when we tell our children and grandchildren family stories. And in so doing, we teach them something of who they are and from whom they come. For if your son happens to be Jesus, son of God the Father, that's what exactly what you're doing when you tell him Bible stories, teaching him something of who he is and from whom he came. There are actually two stories in the Bible in which Joseph is the primary character, both of which, fascinating to me anyway, both of which involved dreams he dreamed. One of those stories takes place after his son's birth, when warned in a, by God in a dream that King Herod's angels were or soldiers were coming after the newborn king. Joseph took his wife and son to Egypt, where they apparently were granted whatever asylum was granted in those times and lived as immigrant refugees until Herod died. And the other two of those two stories in the Bible that features Joseph is that one we just heard a minute ago, 
That story told in Matthew 1, 18 to 25, when Joseph found out his young bride-to-be was, as the text puts it rather discreetly, with child. This much is absolutely clear. Totally clear. Completely clear. Only two people in the whole world, only two people in the whole world, Mary and Joseph, knew one thing as an absolutely certain fact, and that is that Joseph wasn't the father of Mary's little one. For those two, and they alone, knew for sure that they had not been together in that fashion. Mary alone knew as a fact, and she asked Joseph to believe that she was also yet a virgin, and her pregnancy was an act of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, and surely not one of us here even begins to have half an attempt to put ourselves in his shoes can fault him. Joseph didn't believe it. What impresses me is what he did then, even without believing it. Matthew 1.19, Joseph being a righteous man and unwilling to expose Mary to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. A few words of explanation. In those days, a man and woman engaged or betrothed to each other were in a relationship as binding as marriage. And so to break the engagement relationship was equivalent to a divorce. Also in those days, the engaged couple, though legally bound to each other, were not to live with each other or have sexual relations with each other. That was meant to be reserved for marriage. Also in those days, to have sex with someone else, someone other than the person you were engaged to, um, was regarded as adultery. And the punishment for adultery in those days was to be stoned to death. It is clear that Joseph didn't believe Mary. How could he really possibly have believed Mary? When she told him the news, he knew he knew for an absolute fact that what they hadn't done. And so therefore in his mind he also knew for an absolute fact what another man and Mary surely must have done. You can imagine surely the wound in his heart, the sense of betrayal in his heart, the anger in his heart. Can you imagine how easily, deeply hurt he could have responded in kind? Responded by angrily hurting her, dragging her into the street, shouting, adulteress, adulteress, and then picking up the first stone of the stones that would now be thrown at her until she was dead. And the law would have been on his side. For as measured by the law in that time and place, killing her would have been the legal and right thing to do. But Joseph, though he by all rights could have done that, didn't do that. Instead, says Matthew, he resolved to dismiss her, to divorce her, quietly, sparing her shame, hoping, apparently, to spare her life. Because why? Because, says Matthew, Joseph was a righteous 
man. That word righteous, unfortunately, or having become something that anymore means a word people misunderstand to mean self-righteous, judgmental, holier than thou, not, 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 not Joseph. Joseph was righteous in the true sense of the word, righteous with a heart whose heartbeat pulsed with the love of God, who in that holy child whose heart even now already in Mary's womb was beating with its own heartbeat, God who through that child would reach to the world not with law and condemnation, but with mercy and grace. Joseph could by all rights have destroyed Mary. Instead, he resolved to show mercy to Mary. Thinking of that leads me always to a, another Bible story that will play out some 30 years down the road, a scene in which a woman caught in the very act of adultery, how shaming would that have been, is dragged out to the street to Joseph's son's feet. And the judgmental, holier-than-thou, self-righteous, then say to Jesus, Teacher, the law says she should, be, she should be stoned to death. What do you say? And Jesus, do you remember? Jesus says to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin throw the first stone. I read this story of Joseph and Mary and Matthew 1, and I think of that story of Jesus and that unnamed adulteress in John 8. And then what I imagine is that the mercy shown by Jesus in John 8 is actually mercy shown by one whose heart beat with the same merciful pulse as both of his dads, his father in heaven and his father Joseph. Back to Joseph. The decision to divorce Mary but not take her, not take, make a big public scene is a decision he apparently reached at night and then before acting on the decision he slept. And when he did, according to Matthew 1, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This will fulfill what the prophet said. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his dream, and did as the Lord commanded in his dream. He took Mary to be his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him, he named him, Jesus. Fathers in those days were the ones to name the children, and in doing so what they were saying was, this child is mine. We all knew this child was Mary's. Naming him, Joseph says, this child is mine. Which got me thinking about how angels do or don't speak to us these days. Which got me wondering, do you think we would hear angels more often these days or more clearly if we knew God's word so well that it became part of our dreams? And then I got to thinking, too, that dream God gave Joseph to dream immediately became more than, than just a dream that he dreamed. It became something he up and did when he woke up and take, took Mary as his wife, and took her firstborn as his own. Now this, of course, would not have been the first time in Nazareth that a betrothal period was shortened, and a wedding date was moved up, 
And then a child was born, what, seven months or so later, after, as we say, arriving a little early? There absolutely would have been rumors and gossip and shame in the eyes and the hearts of some. Now this would have been gossip and shame, which of course would be about Joseph too. Though he had done nothing to deserve such, except do what he did to save his beloved and her child, whom he now adopted and would raise and love as his child. Which got me thinking how that child, sometime after his adoptive dad's death, and dreaming not a dream from God, but rather dreaming God's greatest dream. A dream more powerful even than the power of death, or sin, or shame, would allow himself to be shamed and put to death as a sinner, even though he'd done nothing to deserve such, except to do all he did do to save, to adopt as his own, all the sin broken in this broken, but nevertheless yet so by God loved world. O come, O come, come Emmanuel. Come save us. And by the power and leading of your Holy Spirit and your holy angels, dream in us and dream for us and dream with us the dreams we can then wake and do, that through us your love might do what can be done by us for you and for all in this sin-broken world whom you do love. Amen.